We thank you for the fact that you have communicated to us, you have revealed to us your very word, what it is that you want us to know for life and godliness. You've been clear, we have everything we need for life and godliness right here in this word. And so, God, I pray that you would shape us this morning, you would speak to our hearts, that we would be about pursuing godliness for you. God, challenge us from your word. May our eyes of our heart truly be open to what it is you want to say. Illuminate us. Courage us. Correct us. Train us in righteousness so that we may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. An old farmer showed up at the prestigious Kentucky Derby with his mule. and Many looked on with amazement while others laughed and shouted ridiculing remarks at this old man. Finally, someone approached the old farmer and said, What are you thinking? You can't enter that mule in this race. This race is only for the finest thoroughbreds in the country. Besides, he cannot possibly win. And the farmer quickly replied, Oh, I'm not entering my mule in this race to win. I just thought a little exposure might do him a little good. (laughs) Begs the question, does your exposure around other Christians do you some good? Does your exposure around other Christians do you some good? Do you come away from time spent in the company of God's people, stirred up, passionate, and more excited to live for him? That's how it should be as we gather together. As we gather as our brothers, with our brothers and sisters in Christ, we really ought to rub off on each other in a positive way. And that's what I want us to look at this morning. Today, I want us to spend some time on the value of community. The value of community. We began a new sermon series last week on values-driven living. We began by first being reminded of our mission. We exist to glorify God by making disciples through sharing the gospel of Christ and his unconditional love. We exist to glorify God by making disciples through sharing the gospel of Christ and his unconditional love. Church, are we making disciples? Are we making disciples? Are we on mission with God? That is what kicked off our sermon series last Sunday. Now, if you weren't around last week, I would encourage you to pick up a copy of the sermon or listen to it online from last week. I mean, I seldom invite you to do that, but I think in this case it would be very helpful for me to to kind of encourage you to do that because everything else we talk about around these values flow out of that mission. Everything flows out of that mission. Now, let me remind you as to the reason for this sermon series. It is critical that we as a church get our minds around 
who we are and what drives us to do what we do and not do. Rick Warren put it this way. He said, every church is driven by something. There's a guiding force, a controlling assumption, a directing conviction behind everything that happens. It may be unspoken. It may be unknown to many. Most likely, it's never been officially voted on. But it is there, influencing every aspect of the church's life. What is it that's influencing the aspects of church life here? Well, the leadership identified seven values that ought to influence every aspect of the life of this church. These seven values are quite straightforward and and rather simple, that these values don't reflect all that we are, but to serve as handles for us in a way to explain and measure what we are doing as a church family. These values sort of, kind of, sort of like the glue that, that holds all our ministries together. They're, they're, these values keep us on course. They are the essentials to living out our mission. And since the church is made up of people, loved ones, we are in this together. We are in this together. We can only reach maturity as a church attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ as each part does its work. And that brings, us, brings me to our subject this morning. I want us to look at the value of community. It is expressed this way. You'll see it on the screen, hopefully. It's expressed this way. We value making disciples by building authentic relationships that spur each other on toward love and good deeds. We value making disciples by building authentic relationships that spur each other on toward love and good deeds. Now, I stated last week that we gather to go. We gather to go. But what are we to be about doing when we gather? What is it about our gathering that enables us to more effectively go and carry out our mission? Well, I invite you to look with me at Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. You'll find it on page 851 in the Red Pew Bibles if you want to use those this morning. Hebrews chapter 10. Mike read it earlier in our worship service just before the praise team led us in some songs there to worship to the Lord. But I want to read it again. Uh, Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 25. It's towards the back of the New Testament. Hebrews chapter 10. Follow along as I read these verses again. Verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Verse 23. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. 
Now, for our purposes this morning, my focus will be on verses 24 and 25. But we need to touch on what comes before it to feel its full impact this morning. If we were making our way through the book of Hebrews, we would discover that as we come to this section of Scripture, it really serves as a transitional passage from what was largely doctrinal to what will be largely practical. Now, I'm not crazy about making such a distinction between doctrine and practice because all doctrine is practical and all our practice is based on doctrine, what we believe. But the therefore in verse 19 of Hebrews 10 signals a transition and that what he's about to say is linked to what he's been saying. Well, what has the writer of Hebrews been saying in the first nine and a half chapters? Well, he's been speaking of the person and work of Christ. That Jesus Christ has shed his own blood to to redeem us and provide us access to his Father in heaven. And the key phrase throughout the book of Hebrews is the phrase, once for all. Once for all. What had to be repeated under the old covenant of continued sacrifice and going through a human priest has been replaced by the new covenant. We have a high priest who once for all gave his own life so that we can be forgiven and cleansed and can approach God the Father with a clear conscience. It's at chapter 10, verse 19 that the subject takes a turn to look at the implications of what Jesus has done. In other words, since Jesus has done all of this, since we have new life in Christ, since we have access to God the Father, since we have all these Christian privileges, what are to be our responsibilities? And that question is answered by three exhortations that show up in this larger section of verses 19 through 25. And each of the exhortations can be easily identified, in most translations anyway, because they begin with the words, let us. Let us. Now, if you write it in your Bibles, you might want to circle that phrase. It occurs three times, really five times in the NIV, but three times in the original Let us, in verse 22, let us draw near to God. That's the first exhortation. The second exhortation, based on what Jesus has done for us, is in verse 23, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. And then we see that phrase again in verse 24, our third exhortation, let us consider how we may spur one another on. Now, some translations begin verse 25 with those words, let us, but that has been supplied. They do it again in the middle of 25, but that's been supplied. It's not in the original language. It really is a continuation of the appeal in verse 24. But we have three exhortations as to how we're to live, three Christian responsibilities that are the result of Christian privileges. Let us draw near to God, let us hold unswervingly to to our hope, and let us consider how we may spur one another on. Now, it's the last command. It's the last exhortation I want to unpack today. The logic of this section 
drives the reader to verses 24 and 25. I want us to think this morning about the implications of the gospel on our relationship with each other in the church. You see, Jesus' death has ushered us into communion with the Father and community with other believers. You cannot separate those. It's communion with the Father and community with other believers. You see, the more we are affected by the gospel, we can't help but want the same thing for our brothers and sisters in Christ. And so if we don't want the same thing or or something good for our brothers and sisters in Christ, then maybe we're not really being affected by the gospel. Because if we're affected by the gospel, I want you to have that. I want you to have that. I want everybody to have that. That's how it works. It's been said this way. The new life that the gospel gives us is new life together. Now, I like that. The new life that the gospel gives us is new life together. That's kind of our bottom line for this morning. Josh Harris speaks to four aspects of our life together that I want to borrow in concept for our outline purposes this morning. Life together has four aspects to it as seen in these two verses. Four aspects of our life together. One, it has a clear purpose. Two, It requires purposeful effort. Three, it must be protected. And fourthly, it has forever in view. Those are the four aspects of our life together. Let's break them down. Let's look at them one at a time. First of all, the first aspect of our life together is it has a clear purpose. It has a clear purpose. What is it we do when we do church? Well, the command is clear cut. Look at the beginning of verse 24. Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Now, notice it doesn't say, let us consider who we like to hang out with. doesn't say that. Notice it doesn't say, let us consider whether or not I like these people. It doesn't say... Let us consider who's going to care for me, who's going to meet my needs. That's not what it says. It says, let us consider how we may spur one another on. What is the clear purpose for doing life together? What is the goal? Spurring others on toward love and good deeds. Now, the word spur there is a very interesting word. It has an edge to it in the original. What is particularly striking about this word spur is that it's usually used in a negative sense. It means to provoke or to exasperate or to irritate. Ha! There you go. Let us consider how we may irritate one another. Great! That's one command I can keep. I got it. Got it, Pastor. Here I go. I've already done it this morning. Now, any of you who have boys or have been around boys, you can appreciate this. What happens? What happens when you get two or more young boys together, say, in the back seat of your car? Now, girls, when they get in the back seat of your car, they giggle a lot, right? 
But boys, what do they instinctively do? No one taught them this. They have to always touch each other, right? Oh, they poke each other. One's trying to just sit there, mind his own business, and the other one gives a little bump with his elbow, a little kick with his foot, a little poke with his hand, a little slap with his hand. What happens usually? It starts to rub off on the other person, and soon there's a lot of poking and punching and all kinds of bodily contact going on in the backseat of your car while you're trying to drive. One provokes the other. That's how it works in the negative sense. But what if, what if we could get a little goodness to rub off on the other person? What if I could poke someone, if I could nudge someone else towards something positive? I mean, it's easy to draw people into the stuff we shouldn't be doing. It's easy to draw people into the conversations we shouldn't be having. That's easy. But what about? What about if our purpose was to provoke as many people as possible toward love and good deeds? Wow. Can you imagine what could happen? See, when we get together, that's to be our purpose. As we get up on Sunday morning and we head off to church, our thought ought to be, I am going to see how many people I can nudge today. I can stimulate today. I can motivate today. I can push toward godliness. I'm going to see how many people I can kind of nudge toward becoming more like Christ today. How, how many people can I, can I kind of nudge toward some, doing something that reflects Jesus Christ? Something that, that moves them towards spiritual growth. Do you think that would make a difference as we gathered? Oh, it would. I mean, let's play off of each other for the good. That's our purpose when we get together. It isn't about coming away with warm and fuzzy feelings. It really isn't about what I get out of it. It isn't about how I feel about certain people. It is, Lord, use me to stir someone to be more like you convicted by that. Is that my prayer? Use me, Lord, to nudge someone today towards sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ and his unconditional love that they're so so pumped when they get out of here, they want to just tell everybody about Jesus. Life together is a very clear purpose. Stir up others in such a way that they leave this gathering wanting to love people more and wanting to do good deeds. That's one aspect of life together. It has a clear purpose. A second aspect to life together is that it requires, it requires purposeful effort. It requires purposeful effort. Notice the opening words of verse 24. Let us consider. Let us consider. The idea behind let us consider is pay t- attention to. It's to look closely at. It's to think carefully of. It's to take notice of someone. It's to think about our brothers and sisters in Christ and considering what they need to grow in their walk with Christ. Not what I think they need, what they really need. 
I mean, the purpose is clear here as to what happens when we gather. We're to spur one another on toward love and good deeds. That's the goal. But we don't reach this purpose by accident. I mean, just because we are all in the same room at the same time doesn't mean we're going to reach that goal. It doesn't mean we're, it doesn't even mean we're having fellowship. See, we think people gathered together equals fellowship. Does it? I remember as a kid hearing someone speak of fellowship as two fellows in one ship. (laughs) Well, that's a cute way to remember it. I did remember it. It worked. But is that what defines fellowship? I mean, in part, yes, but it doesn't go far enough. As many of you know, the common word for fellowship is what? Koinonia. The word is is absolutely rich in meaning. It has to do with partnership. It, It has to do with community. In the early church, it wasn't about the programs and it wasn't about the buildings. It was about people. It was about people going house to house. About people sharing meals together, praying together, being taught together, partnering their resources together, being committed to each other in order to accomplish the mission of the church. Notice again how the value statement is written. We value making disciples by building authentic relationships that spur each other on toward love and good deeds. See, to fellowship with another Christian, in a way, means to disciple that believer to be a better follower of Jesus Christ. Am I thinking that way when I get together? And we can accomplish this, really, through carrying out the one another admonitions of Scripture. You have an insert in your bulletin to that effect, listing several of the one another's of the Old Testament. I mean, grab some of these, love one another, honor one another, live in harmony with one another, accept one another, serve one another, carry each other's burdens, speak to one another with psalms, hymns, spiritual, admonish one another over and over again, one another, one another, one another. It's not about me. How do I ever make it about me? I would argue that these one another's are best carried out in smaller groups of people. We can carry out some of it here to some degree, and as we meet in the time and and, and the ark afterwards, to some degree. But the best setting for that, smaller groups of people, is when we can really carry these out. And if we practice these, if we practice these, we would not just come into contact with other people, we would impact them, wouldn't we? We would impact them. But we can't move toward the purpose without planning. Let us consider. Let us consider what someone else might be going through before we simply offer them a solution. Let's consider where a person is at. See, it takes effort to do that. It's a lot easier to not consider it all. Just come up to you and say, I think I know what you need. Slap on a verse. Off you go. I encouraged him. I didn't listen to a word you said, but I had the answer for you. No, it takes effort to go, I'm going to listen to this person. I'm going to see what this person needs. I'm going to take time to understand what they're going through. Let us consider. It takes effort. See, sharing life together is what's meant to be lived. 
is not for the lazy. It's not for the complacent. It's not for the one who wants to be all, wants everything to be all nice and neat and, and easy and messy free. It requires purposeful efforts. Here's the question. As you were getting ready this morning to gather, as you were getting ready this morning for worship, did you think about others and what they may need from you today? As you walked into the sanctuary, how much of your thinking was about others? Yes, on God, obviously. Yes, on Jesus Christ. Yes, it's all about him. That's why we gather. But a part of that is how can I encourage someone else? This passage brings that out. How much did you consider today how you may spur someone on to love and good deeds? How much did you consider, I'm going to be a blessing to others today that's going to push them forward in their faith. Their exposure with them is going to do them some good this morning. Now, I'm not saying that every conversation has to be heavy. Light conversations, sharing of common interests are connecting points. We need those. But we also need to be about the business of building authentic relationships. Let me say this. Loved ones, we need to be real. We need to be real. Don't pretend you have it all together. Because when you're real, you have no idea how that may speak to someone else and spur them on. So often, I hear struggling saints say to me, I am the only one in this church who has that problem. I'm the only one who struggles like this. I'm the only one who doesn't have it all together. Now, let me tell you, I reassure them by saying, no, 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 trust me, we're all a mess. (laughs) Sorry. Well, maybe not that bad. But we're all works in progress. We're all works in progress. You know one of my favorite lines? We don't have it all together. We just know the one who does. It's been said, if you assume 100% of the people around you are hurting, you'll be right 90% of the time. So think, is there someone I can encourage today, I can be real with? So someone who needs an ear or needs a helping hand or needs me to come alongside of them, needs to see we are real people with real needs. That's life together. Don't pretend. How much thought have we given to the amazing opportunity to minister to someone today? Life together is a clear purpose. Life together requires purposeful effort. I will move quicker on the next two points. The third aspect of life together is it must be protected. It must be protected. Notice the opening words of verse 25. It says, let us not give up meeting together. Or better translation here is it's a continuation of thought from verse 24. And it simply says, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. You see, there were people of the early church who were not going to church. So it isn't just a problem in our day. Now, sadly, too many and too often churches figure that they must make things a little more convenient to attract people to come. You might appreciate this cartoon. I think it's going to go up there. A cartoon showed a church building with a large billboard in front that proclaimed the light church. Now listen, look what it says. 24% fewer commitments, 
home of the 7.5% tithes. 15-minute sermons. Don't even think on that one. 45-minute worship service. And it says we have only eight commandments. Your choice. We use just three spiritual laws and have an 800-year millennium, in case a thousand is too long. Everything you've wanted in a church and less. Now, now there's more truth than fiction in that cartoon. Many churches today are lowering the commitment level to attract attenders. A value that we hold dearly, and we must admit this, a value we hold dearly is convenience. Convenience. There was an elderly woman who lived way back in the hills of North Carolina. And she operated a little old country store. This store had everything from feather pillows to horse collars. It just so happened that this old store also had a creek that ran behind it. It was just a tiny creek and there were not any fish in it. But one day, an old farmer came by and saw the dear old woman sitting at the back of the store with a fishing pole in her hand. The cork was floating up on top of that little creek that didn't have any fish in it. The old farmer said, Aunt Lizzie, what do you think you're doing? There are no fish in that creek. And she said, I know better than that, that there's no fish in this creek. But it's just so convenient. It's just so convenient. How often are we fishing where there are no fish for the sake of convenience? How often do we continue to do what we do for no apparent reason other than it's convenient? The writer to the Hebrew says staying away can become habit forming, so let's protect those times together. You see, this Jesus and me stuff is not New Testament. This Northeast mindset that feeds on independence is not what our new life in Christ is to be about. This attitude of I can stay home and watch my favorite preacher on TV or or catch the sermon online or I can worship the Lord by myself in nature might be true to a point, but it isn't what the Lord had in mind when he called you to himself. You can't find any of that kind of thinking in here. You can't. The New Testament letters, for the most part, were written to churches. As John Wesley put it, there's nothing more unchristian than a solitary Christian. The Christian life is to be lived together. God never asks us to try and live out our faith on our own. So we have to ask, what is it that might cause you to neglect meeting together or sharing life together? Because, folks, faith flourishes in community. How convinced are we of that? We can't go off by ourselves and grow spiritually. You can try and convince me of that. You can tell me my soul is fine. I haven't been to church in years. I'm not buying it. I'm not buying it. And neither should you if you hear it. It's not New Testament. It's not true. We're kidding ourselves. The temptation down through the age of the church that, you know, it's not really that important if I make it to church. What's the big deal? Orthodox church officials in Russia discovered in 2008 that one of the church buildings had disappeared. Poof, gone. 
200-year-old building northeast of Moscow had gone unused for a decade, but the Orthodox Church, which was experiencing growth, was considering reopening the church building, and that's when they went and discovered their building was gone. It wasn't there anymore. So they had to get to the bottom of this. Well, after investigating the matter, the church officials did not blame aliens from outer space. Rather, they said the perpetrators were villagers from a nearby town whom they said had taken and sold bricks from the building to a businessman. For each brick, the thieves received that which was comparable to four cents. This two-story church facility did not go from being a building to not being a building in one bulldozing stroke. Rather, the bricks were apparently chiseled out one by one by lots of people. In the same way, some churches built not by bricks but of living stones, that is of Christians, are not reduced in one fatal stroke, but rather by Christians one by one choosing not to be involved. Brick, brick, brick. We need you. We need you. We need each other. In each decision, will you say, I'm going to stay home, I'm going to do something else, I don't want to be a part of that fellowship, means one less living stone. In the end, the church, attended by God to be the display of Christ's glory, is chiseled away. And conversely, each person who gets involved helps to build a holy temple in the Lord made up of living bricks where Christ is glorified. See, an aspect of life together is it must be protected. Let's not give up meeting together. Now, interestingly, one last point on this. The one other place where this phrase, not give up meeting together, is used is 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1. And that passage in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1, it speaks of Christ returning for his church at the rapture where we will be gathered together for him, with him. That gathering to our Lord at his return is a picture of what we should be doing in his absence, gathering together with one another to worship, encourage one another, and spur one another on toward love and good deeds. And that leads me to the fourth aspect of, of life together, and that is we must keep an eye on forever. We must keep an eye on forever. Fourth aspect of life together is keeping an eye on forever. You see, staying away is short-sighted. We ought to replace that habit with a habit of encouraging one another, it says in the middle of verse 25. And then it adds, at the end of verse 25, and all the more as you see the day approaching. See, all the more we need to be doing this. There never comes a day, this side of heaven, where we no longer need to do this spurring on and encouraging. No one in this room, including myself, has arrived. No one can say, you know what? I've done enough encouraging. I'm kind of going into retirement. We are called to life together until when? The day arrives. What day? The day we will see the Lord face to face. We're all one, close, one day closer to that day, but we must keep an eye on forever, on the day when we will be with our Savior forever. Now, why is this so critical? Because nothing we do in this day makes sense apart from that day. Nothing. And if you know Christ, 
and you look around the room to see all those who also know Christ, guess what? Those are the people you will be spending eternity with. You know what I'm saying? When you made that decision to put your faith in Christ, did it occur to you that everyone else who did that will also be there? You see, when we reach that day and we see our Lord face to face, we're going to be overwhelmed with joy. We're going to be overwhelmed with joy, not only because I am saved, not only because I am here in heaven. Get this. Our joy will also be because we look around and we realize we are here together. There's going to be tremendous joy in that. Do life together. Get into each other's lives. Invest and pour yourself into others. Live out your real faith with real people who can be a real pain at times. So can you. Don't laugh. And so can I, right? Keep an eye on forever. Let's build authentic relationships that spur each other on toward love and good deeds. And as we do life together in this way, we display the gospel to a watching world. That is how this value links us to our mission. We exist to glorify God by making disciples through sharing the gospel of Christ and his unconditional love. And one way we do that is as we value life together. Because when we do, when we do life together, the watching world will take notice. Reminded of the story of Jimmy Durante, a comedian years ago. He was invited to participate in a show for World War II veterans. Because his schedule was so full, he consented to only be there for a few minutes. That's all I can give you, a few minutes, and I need to leave. And so he agreed to do one short monologue, and then immediately leave for his next appointment. That night when Jimmy got on stage, he quickly went through the short monologue. But instead of leaving, he continued to perform another monologue and another monologue and another monologue. The applause just grew louder and louder, and he remained on stage. And by the time he finished, he had been on stage for well over 30 minutes, and he took his final bow, and he exited. Well, backstage, the director stopped him, and he said, I don't get it, Mr. Durante. I thought you had, oh, had to go after a few minutes. What happened? Why'd you stay? Jimmy wiped a tear from his eye, and he replied, I did have to go, but I'll show you why I stayed. He then pointed to the front row where two men were sitting, each of whom had lost an arm in the war. One had lost his right arm, and the other man had lost his left arm. And together, together, they were clapping each other's hand loudly and cheerfully. Jimmy concluded by saying, that is why I stayed. That is why. No matter how wounded or how imperfect we may be, when we do life together, we can capture the attention of a world that needs the hope that we have. And perhaps when they are around us, when they're around believers, they just may want to stay a little longer. Might that kind of exposure do them some good? Let's pray. God, we thank you for this reminder of this value, of this, of this 
call to community. God, I pray that we'd wrap our minds around it. That you'd convict us where we need to be convicted and we would, we would get what you want us to get this morning. That we'd go and do life together. As we walk out, we'd look to spur one another on toward love and good deeds, to rub off on each other for the good May that be on our minds. May that be our mindset. May it be about others, not ourselves, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You're dismissed.